Yo, woo, spooky, or spacey, or something. Last episode, the good folks here at Crackpot Cassette, we talked about ads and and their everywhereness. They are a very modern, very huge issue, and we about decided that not much is good about them, but that sometimes they're a necessary evil for people who do what we do, be it pizza or hummus or tabbouleh or baba ganoush. Don't forget about baba ganoush. Forgot about it this week and I won't be making that mistake again. Anywho, ads are bad to do, but you got to do them when a must is a must. As bad as they are, it's even worse to pay for them. It's just like running to the top of a mountain with your whatever size bag of money and tossing it into the headwind. Then you hope that it hits something or someone, but not really just hit them. Will they notice it? Will it register? Did they like it? If it was supposed to be funny, was it? And there's nothing worse than trying to be funny and not achieving. It's like the the goofy and uh, I just, I cannot stand this this word anymore. The awkward, goofy white guy forcing silence with his clumsy but perfect ability to do or say something at the wrong time in the most wrong, wrongest moment. There, The commercials on TV are now filled with this kind of, I think the kids call it a trope. It's awful. Ads are like music, though, or anything like that. Something great comes out and... By the thousands, people ape it, copy, and then run with it. And then after all that, what if you offended someone? It's okay if you offend the right person for the right reason. But bad writing or timing can can make everything go wrong. You're misunderstood, and then kaboom. So then it's doing the opposite of what it's supposed to do. Yeesh. Anyway, we did ads last week, this week. What do ads, what do they lead to? Well, first they lead to shopping. Now we've touched on this. Shopping is now called research. At least internet shopping is. Do your research. Just ask the companies that encourage researching the things they sell. Actually, ask anyone. So they've gone through the trouble. Everybody's gone through the trouble. These ads expect you to go shopping. And does everybody rationalize shopping these days by calling it research? I do. I'm not judging the world. I'm saying that a lot of folks do. And we can do it in our own world. Researching cheese or sauce or going down different rabbit holes when everything is just fine the way it is. That's not to be confused with price shopping, but, you know, this is something that goes on. We we don't market byproducts in a sense. We don't say, hey, who's selling tomato sauce for the least, blah, 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 blah. 
We buy one. We've been buying it for years. And it's um, an incredible tomato out of California. Stanislaus County. Company goes by the same name. No shopping needed. We are talking about shopping this episode, but it's not the only way the internet has changed us all. Normal people take up arms and fight for their right to be taxi drivers, all internet-based. Just two years ago, what, what did we all think about generally taxi drivers? Change isn't always better, though. You pay eventually. It's very easy to buy movie tickets. You can even designate your own seat, which is great. It takes the stress out of going to the movie for some. You've already paid. No must, no fuss. You just walk right in. Is everything better, though? No. The Force Awakens came out. She's last year. Everybody had tickets months in advance, so no lines. No huge, long, wrapping around building Star Wars lines. What's the fun in that? We here at Crackpot Cassette are grumpy about the internet. The internet is how this podcast gets out to our wonderful employees and friends. So we take grains of salt for sure here. So I feel it's my duty to tell a story this week about how wonderful the internet can be and how nice shopping is and eat a little crow. All right? Get ready for story time. In the early 80s, there was a series of keyboards released by the Roland Corporation. They were, from about 82 to 1986, there were four main models. There were some sub-models, but we're not going to talk about those. There was the 6, the 60, the 106, and the Alpha models. There were two Alpha models. So if you, you haven't, you've heard these things. If, if you don't think you have, you have. Before, before these came out, synthesis was very expensive and it would take... Now, these weren't the first, but they were certainly some of the most popular. So it took a doctorate to operate synthesizers up into the point of kind of that very late 70s, very early 80s synthesis where they came in one big portable package connected to the keyboard. They used to take up rooms, just like computers used to take up rooms. It's all the same, you know. Now, you have to understand a little bit about the times and kind of where everything was, musically speaking. For, for all practical purposes, and, and if you want to make an argument for early 1980s creativity and legitimacy which I'm happy to make anytime, anywhere. It's just like the birth of rock and roll and the fact that in the 50s, solid body guitars replaced big archtop guitars and they were pretty affordable, a lot more affordable, but more importantly, 
they were amplifiable. And you could turn them up really loud without getting a bunch of howling feedback. And that was the big change. So voila, rock and roll. And this is what happened with synthesis at, at this period of kind of, you look at 78 to 82 or 83. Synthesizers were falling into the hands of some really creative Brits who were making new stuff. And think about it. It was only since the 50s that there was a group of musicians who were able to create a new kind of music. And without, without punk rock kind of hitting this neoclassical synthesis in the face, I'm not sure it ever could have happened because you were able to come out and simply make pop music. So these Brits were making something new. Vince Clark, there's a documentary called Synth Britannia. Our old friend, almost guest, almost most famous guest on this show, Vince Clark, had this to say about it on Synth Britannia. And there'll be links in the, uh, the notes, the show notes. At the time, it was just really, really exciting. And it was exciting to be um, a part of a musical movement that was that had never been done before that was completely different it wasn't a rehash of anything those early electronic records I mean they'd never been done before so it was a, a fine time and like anything else when the copycats came along and they all got sense too things got bad real quick and I, I think that's why when people look at the early 80s and kind of snicker they're thinking of those guys, but not the pioneers, not the real guys. And what did folks blame? They blame the sense. Back to the Juno series. You've heard these things. They sound like this. This. And this. I'm using the Alpha Juno, the last in line, the most unwanted of the lot, but it's the best. And that's where internet shopping gets weird. You know, you, you have this thing where if you're trying to make a case, the internet will back you up, no matter what your case is. And I think we've talked about that before. I think I say that a lot. I must talk about the same things. I, maybe I talk in a circle. Anyway, maybe, right? So the Alpha Juno is the best. And this is where the internet gets good. That special place where shopping turns into research and it all comes together and everything just kind of works. Just like online ordering for pizza, right? That's where it all comes together and that's another place where it just works. Things have come back around these days, and even country music is heavily synth-based now. It's all, it's all computer emulation, but the emulations are totally indistinguishable. Don't let your hipster friends tell you any different. You, you can't tell the difference. And there's some wonderful spots on the Internet where folks are arguing about what's what and fooling each other and people getting angry and yelling at each other in the comment section and... I don't know. It sure is easy to beat up on the internet, but it's 
real funny sometimes. So, time was not initially kind to the Juno series. Time was especially not kind to the Alpha Juno. By the late 90s, they could be had for like $100 or $200 secondhand. These things cost thousands of dollars, but now people would put blankets over them and hide them from their friends. The 6, the 60, and the 106 were were different in that they were very editable. They're what you think. It's a big thing with a key bed, lots of keys, and then knobs that you twist back and forth on top and spin. Of course, now that's what you see with modern artists. They're twisting knobs and just standing there and twisting knobs, but we don't want to get into judgment. You could make up new sounds, you could save them, except for the six, the very first Juno, had no memory. These times were hard back then, but the 60 and the 106, which are a lot more valuable, have memory. You can also buy an incredible computer emulation for $60. Any recording software comes with an emulation where you can get damn close. The filters aren't the same, which is where you filter the initial sound through, but that's also a totally different podcast. These sounds never really went away, even in their lowest. And they were not thought to be too valuable as hardware or, you know, spiritual or sound-wise. But they did never go away. Out of fashion? Yes. But they were there. They were kind of under everything. So, what's the big kerplunk with the alphas? Humongous improvements under the hood. Very stable. Later analog. They work. They don't break. If they do break, things not involved with synthesis it's just little the connectors the uh the ins and outs those are the things that over time anything like that would break but what happened in the late 80s is people instead of wanting to make their own sounds went to presets so you were able to kind of bury and save money the companies would save money by eliminating all the sliders and the movable parts and going to kind of a touch membrane like a speak and spell you know these buttons that kind of click under your fingertips and what modern folks would call menu diving now. If you wanted to change something, you had to go through a couple of submenus to change it. This was popularized by Yamaha and the DX7, which kind of ate up the world when it came out. The first really affordable digital synthesizer, which now sounds like a bunch of frozen hot dogs falling on a metal roof. But then everybody wanted affordable digital. And these two coming out at the same time, the Junos just bit it. People didn't want the old, creaky analog, which, of course, now people really want. So if you fast forward to now, Juno 60, 6, 106, they're all really valuable. In a lot of cases, thousands or a thousand plus dollars. The Alpha Junos, you can still scrounge up for about 200 bucks because you can't twist all those knobs. But they sound better. They sound a lot cleaner. Much better for recording, not as rough. Some of this is subjective, but usability-wise, no problem. One of the problems with presets when you have a synthesizer, like the, the 60 or the 106, is if you twist those knobs and you save a preset, 
there's no way to know once you go back to that preset where those knobs were unless your knowledge runs really deep. And a lot of us know enough to adjust, but not enough to really know what we're doing. So you're flying blind once you've set the preset. I have some preset, they call them patches. I have some patches that that I like to use. I have no idea what it is. So enter the Alpha Editor. As an Alpha Juno owner, I bought an Alpha Juno because it's small. It fits in your house. It's not humongous. And yes, you have to dive around in those menus, but you can change anything you want. And one, when you look at it, it gives you the numerical value, the original numerical value and what the value went to. But again, it doesn't have the sliders and there's no replacement for that. Or at least I thought. So I was shopping around, researching. I don't know what the hell I was doing. I found something called the Alpha Editor. It is an iPad app. It costs $3.99. And it hooks up through MIDI connections to your Alpha Juno as sliders. So not only that, it works. So you plug in through your camera kit or whatever into your iPad and you have a set of sliders on your iPad for $4. Through a $4 app, you've turned a $250 synthesizer into one that rivals one costing thousands on the vintage market from the same company, from the same series. Not only that, you can dial through your presets and see exactly what. So if you have 60 presets on a synthesizer, you can punch them and that editor will tell you exactly what's going on. So I would argue that this is the best thing to learn from. I know there are a lot of these Alpha Junos out there. The Alpha Editor Facebook page has 43 likes. I checked it this morning. How it's not out there, I don't know, but it's amazing in what it does, in how easy it does it, and the extras that you get of loading sounds and being able to tell what you, a sound you made two years ago, you can punch a button, go to it, and there are your slider settings. There's no, Roland also makes a slider and they're hard to find. Um, and it's a set of physical sliders you can plug into the alpha keyboards, but in no way, shape or form will these move to tell you what you did in a previous patch making sound designing flurry, but this will. That's amazing. So the internet wins, shopping wins, researching, wasting time wins. I'm here to tell you this is my internet redemption episode. I'll put a link to the alpha editor and maybe hashtag it or whatever. Maybe people will hear about it more. Get on Craigslist. Buy yourself an Alpha Juno. Buy a ticket to, to Synth Heaven. God. What is the argument I'm trying to make? I have no earthly idea. I think it's don't be so down on everything. Like we can get. Ads support the internet. And they're not great. It's summer, it's quiet time at pizza. If you have comments, 
I know you don't because I never hardly get comments. Podcast at indexaustin.com. Let me hear from you now. I guess that's it. Everybody have a good week. Happy summer. Podcast is going to be going on through the summer. Thank you for listening. See you next episode. Goodbye.